You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. So today is the last message that I'm doing on facing cultural headwinds, the need for the Holy Spirit. And I'll be making some introductory comments about what this uh, wrap-up message looks like today. But would you stand for the reading of the Word? And we're going to go back to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And uh, let's read this together. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Holy Spirit, we pray that as the Word is taught that you do more than just fill our minds, we pray that our hearts are full. That God, that we can see the activity that you have for us through the Holy Spirit. I pray that you help us develop, help us, God, to initiate in the arenas of life that you have staged for us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you and be seated. So as I said, today is the sixth message in this series called Facing Cultural Headwinds, the Need for the Holy Spirit. And so I kind of made what I call an audible last week. I was going to go a different direction today, but I didn't get everything said that I wanted to say in relationship to speaking in tongues. And so I did half of it last week. We'll do the other half here today. If you're new to the bridge, please understand our, our messages are available online and would encourage you because there's been a whole host of things that have been said up to this point. And so I don't want you to think that I'm avoiding something or you know not wanting to talk about something. We've probably already addressed much of it. But one of the things that we're emphasizing with this today, why did I call it facing, uh, or, or the facing cultural headwinds, the need for the Holy Spirit? We sometimes forget the environment that these New Testament Christians were finding themselves in. The followers of Christ were trying to live a life that was contrary to the morals and values of Rome. When Jesus came and showed that he was the Messiah, they just assumed that that meant Rome had to be toppled so that they could have the freedom to live their life the way that they felt God wanted to. And Jesus didn't touch Rome. He let Rome go ahead and rule. He left them in charge of the known world at the time. And so if you're, and so what you discover is this. If you're going to face the power and immorality of Rome, you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. Instead of removing Rome, God said, what if I give you the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can live in the face of Rome? Well, I will tell you this, I think we have some parallels today because if you don't have it noticed by now, our values aren't more cultural friendly today. They are more distant, more par- par- or what I would say uh, polarized today. And much of it has to do with some of the same stuff that Rome was doing back then. 
We find that the names have changed, but this, this political and moral drift that we have today has happened before. It just happened by different titles and different names. And so maybe the problem that we have in our particular culture is this. We're trying to address demonic darkness with a human will. And I can tell you the human will will always lose. The only way you're going to be able to deal with demonic darkness is to be able to have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the counterpart of what evil spirits are, not the human, not the human will. The human will has already been beat once. Remember, the human will was in paradise and still got deceived. Darkness manipulated the human will. So if we're going to live in the face of evil spirits, and by the way, let me say, I don't pray against people, I pray for them, but I pray against the spirits that are playing them. So you're not, I'm not here to demonize people, I don't believe in that, because it tells us even to love our enemy. If we consider even somebody to be an enemy, it says love them, it doesn't say trash them. So we pray for our enemies, but we pray against those evil forces that manipulate them and deceive them and, and cause them to believe lies that they think are true, but they're truly lies. And so here we are today trying to face some of these same demonic forces, and people are trying to win the battle with the human will, and I don't think anybody can make a case that we're winning the battle. Darkness seems to be winning the day that's not designed to be discouraging that's not to be an alarmist i'm just trying to be a realist here so maybe we need to start looking at the reasons we need the holy spirit to address that so as we look at this today i'm going to share something i set up used to set up the message on this issue of speaking in tongues it says experiences are multi-dimensional this view is utilized in courts where truth is being determined and so, not only do you have the ability to have DNA, you can have fingerprints, you can have receipts of a person that was in a particular region and time, you can have their cell phone bounced off of a tower, you can have eyewitnesses, there's all sorts of things. You know, sometimes they can access the GPS of a car and it says they were in this particular location at a particular time, and it's a variety of things, there's, there's a variety of ways to confirm that a person was responsible for a particular crime. And the more that you can use those various angles, the stronger the case that you make. And, and to the point that you can prosecute and go, no, we're, we're really confident. That was you. <laughs> we have all this mounting evidence that proves that you're the person who committed the crime. And sometimes when we come to Scripture, we fail to recognize there's a variety of approaches. And so I'm trying to use some of that, to, especially on this issue of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. There's typically just this one approach, and you either buy into it or not. And I'm here to say, the Bible can handle you coming from any angle. You know, if you want to go this way, if you want to go that way, I'm telling you, it will always lead back to the truth, as long as your motives are pure. Okay, Because if they're not, you can always find a reason to derail something because your motives are impure. So we don't have to go, well, we have to take this angle or else everything falls apart. No, we're pretty good. We can, we can go at this. So here's what I set up last week. There's a way that I'll tell you as a pastor that we study scripture for, for preaching and teaching. There's the immediate context of the event. I talked a little bit about that last week. Then there's the scriptures previously written before the event. 
Many times they didn't have the Bible as a whole that we have today. They only had the scriptures written previous, so we talked about that last week. Then as things unfolded, there's the scriptures that were written after the event. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So typically, this, where I'm doing today is where people start. I've started in a different arena. This is more or less the capstone to everything. I've already addressed the other two. So we're going to be looking at what we say Paul and Luke's use of tongues. They're the two guys who wrote it. They're the guys who... They wrote the scriptures that everybody is dissecting and trying to figure out and what does it mean and doing all these, uh, I call them theological gymnastics. And you're like, can we just pause for a minute? Let me tell you something, and I say this because I have to remind myself of something here. And I'm going to tell you what that is. These guys were both learned individuals, but the people that they were writing to weren't necessarily learned. They were writing to take something that was complicated and make it simple so that anybody could understand it. How many does that bring hope today? It brings me hope. Okay? I mean, I, we all know that Paul's, Paul's language is education. Unbelievable. Okay? What you don't know is probably the most articulate uh, writer of, of, of the book of, of any of the books in the New Testament. And it's based on language and articulation. We don't pick it up because we translate it into English. But if you go into the Greek, you see that Luke probably is the most proficient, articulate writer. He was pretty phenomenal. And his language reflects that. So we have two people who are highly educated, very articulate, and they're just trying to take this, these big concepts and put it in a way that everybody gets it. And leave it to Americans to still not get it. We, we do all these bobbing and weaving and twisting and turning, trying to this and that. It's like, you know, the, the first thing you need to do is just have a simple mindset because that's who they were writing to, Okay. So part of that is just, hey, let's just relax. This isn't a complicated issue. We've made it a complicated issue based on comfort and discomfort. But it's really simple because they wrote it for that particular purpose. So what I want you to realize is this, is we have to be careful. We don't change the scriptures to fit our experience. Because that's what's happening today. People are having an experience. They say, well, my experience is that same-sex marriages are okay, so therefore let me work the Scripture to justify myself. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't take your experience and then go to the Bible and work it so that it agrees with something that you've already discerned to, to be the outcome. No, the Bible speaks to my circumstances, my experiences. And when my experiences do not line up, guess who has to do the changing? Guess who has to do the growing and the developing, okay? Uh, I don't play with Scripture because I need it to validate me. No, I need to change myself so that the Scripture validates me. Everybody said amen, okay? So, why this controversy? So, here's a scripture that may help you. 1 John chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. I want you, why don't everybody read this with me? 
For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. The blood is the blood of Christ. The water is the baptism in water. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And notice what it says. Two out of the three are in agreement. Is that what it says? What does it say? The three. How did we ever get to, we got two of them in agreement, but man, is there a lot of disagreement on that first part there, the Spirit. We got a lot. We're not in agreement. And could that be what's killing the power of our impact? Because it's the power of the Holy Spirit that is designed to infuse our witness. It says these are not in competition. They work together. It's just really, like I said, let's just keep it a a simplistic approach. That the three are in harmony, not in competition with one another. But many followers of Christ have got two working and the third's kind of on the side and it's been marginalized for right now while they sort through things. I understand there's a dimension of growth. I get it. But the point is, I need to, that's, that's what I need to be shooting for. Everybody said amen? amen? So, we also must understand the communication style of Luke and Paul. Otherwise, we risk an incomplete or total incorrect understanding of Scripture. What do I mean by that? They had primary purposes that they were writing. When you forget the primary purpose, it's easy to take what's being said and just shoot it off in any direction that you want. I have a little thing that I've said, and I've mentioned it before. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Some of you went, huh? Listen to it online again and you'll get it. In other words, start with the main thing. And from there, you can work other things. But you got to keep what the main thing is. Don't dismiss it, because otherwise you lose your bearing. Did you know that you can go any direction you want, but you have to first of all know what true north is? Now, you don't have to go true north. But it is where you start. If you change true north, it doesn't matter where you want to go. You're not getting there. You can choose another, but the point is, you've got to have the main thing on your compass, which way's north. And it's the same way with the scripture. Let's make sure we understand what the primary is. So, number one, we're going to be looking at a couple things as it relates to tongues. But here's what I want to set up before we get into it. Luke uses the verbiage of tongues as a sign for the baptism of the Holy Spirit three times in the book of Acts. It actually uses the verbiage. Now, I know there's other texts. But this is, I'm saying, where he uses the verbiage. And then you come to Paul, and he uses the verbiage of tongues 12 times. And it's all in the book of 1 Corinthians. And he does it in chapter chapter 12, 13, 4. He uses it three times, in in three chapters. Now, it's amazing. This huge controversy is over 15 passages. We act like it's magnanimous, it's huge, I don't know how we're going to... It's like, dude, all you got to do is work through 15 passages. Okay? That's all you got to do is just... And you're only talking about two writers to get through this, to understand this, this huge obstacle that some people have as it relates to this particular topic. So number one, everybody read this. The purpose of the Holy Spirit, according to Luke in the book of Acts... 
I told you he was a great writer. If you go into the Greek language that he used, he was absolutely one of the most, well, he probably was the most articulate in, in, in his writing style. Like I said, we don't pick that up because we read it in the English version. But this is his thesis. And if anybody's been in education, you know what a thesis is, right? Everything you write after this has to prove that, right? Or your professor starts using red. What's this got to do with thesis? Where are you going? Where's the direction? It all, everything has to tie back to this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's his thesis. And the point being here is from now on he is going to show you the power of the Holy Spirit in getting the witness out. So, let's begin to look at it. The, th the instances where he does say tongues were definitely spoken and instances where it, it says they were filled or received the Spirit, but it didn't say they actually spoke in tongues. And don't worry, relax, nothing's changing today. I'm just, how many will give Pastor Greg a chance to work through all this? So I, can, I know people, oh man, where's he going? Okay, so here we go. In Acts chapter 2, the streets of Jerusalem were filled with people from all over the world. And they heard them speaking in tongues. Okay? That's definitely a witness because everybody went back home and was able to tell. And we're talking from the all around the Mediterranean Sea. So up, up in the northern part, all the way around, and then all the way down into the, into the northern coast of Africa. Then you read in Acts chapter 4 where they were told to knock it off by the Sanhedrin. So they got back together. And they prayed, and it said they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Now, it doesn't say they spoke in tongues. Relax, chill out. I'm not saying that they didn't. These were the same people that were in Acts 2. They've already spoken in tongues. Okay. Acts chapter 8, it now they're up in Samaria. And it says they received the Holy Spirit. Wow, and then he says in, uh, in Damascus in Acts chapter 9, we go up and it says that Saul was saved and received the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say Paul spoke in tongues, but by the way, have you noticed how much he wrote about tongues in Corinthians and he says, I speak in tongues more than the rest of you? So while it's not mentioned here, he makes a case later that he did. Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to the house of a Roman centurion who is extremely influential, names it, says he's from the Italian regiment. Yeah, it's actually in the Bible, it says Italian regiment. He was the elite commander of an elite unit. And it says that Peter is preaching, and while he's preaching, they begin to speak in tongues. How's that for screwing up the message? Can't you at least wait till I give the altar call? Then, in Acts chapter 9, so now we know Rome's getting the message then in Acts chapter 19, he's up, Ephesus was in Asia. That's what they called the region where Ephesus was, Asia at the time. And so it says there that they spoke in tongues as well. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. So, so what you see here is the point that he's saying is the rest of the gospel or the rest of the book of Acts is what the thesis was that Jesus says, that's happening. And it's going to all cultures, 
even the culture that is making everybody's life miserable, the Romans. It's penetrating. The power, listen to me, the power of the Holy Spirit is more powerful than Rome. The power of the Holy Spirit is more powerful than the racial discrimination that there was against the Samaritans. The power of the Holy Spirit was greater than the religious discrimination and persecution that was being brought on by Saul, who converted and became the Apostle Paul. The point was, the power of the Holy Spirit was powerful. And it was released. And every force that could be thrown at the church, the church penetrated every realm of darkness with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what Luke's trying to show you. Okay? Okay? That the Holy Spirit was not just a raw, raw moment. It was a reality. And not even Rome, Samaritans, and the Sanhedrin, and Asia could stop it. I don't know about you, man. That ought to pump you up, man. It does me because it just says, how I live my life through the power of the Holy Spirit is greater than any force that darkness can throw. How I choose to live my life as a follower of Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit. Hey, that, there's, there's impact in what we do and how we live. We don't have to protest. We don't have to get all excited and march the streets. We just have to live. All right, I'll amen myself. Okay? Now, let's look at this a little further. These six instances... In Acts chapter 2, it does say they spoke in tongues. In Acts 4, it's the same people. It just says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke boldly. In Acts chapter 8, it says the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 9, it says Paul was saved, or Saul at the moment, saved and uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 10, uh, this is Cornelius' house, the, the Rome, Romans. They heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Acts chapter 19, Ephesus, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So here's what we have. Three of the six instances, it says they spoke in tongues and filled with the Holy Spirit. 50%. So some people go, so all right, 50% of the time you speak, and 50% of the time you don't. I say, okay, you want to go there, right? You sure? Because now you just made a rule of grammar. Everybody got me? How many know that it was a regular teaching in the Bible that when you got saved that you needed to be baptized in water as well? Come on. You didn't know that. I'm telling you something you didn't know this morning, right? Okay? It was taught. And even, now listen, being baptized was not getting saved. It was evidence that I am in relationship with God, that I am a follower. Being baptized was evidence. Do you understand me? You do not have to be baptized to be saved, but if you're saved, the evidence that you are saved is you want to be baptized. Everybody got it? So we, we even read that on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were saved and it says they were baptized. That was a long service. Okay? At some point, a long service starts to become a hostage situation. 
3,000 people were saved, and they, listen, and it's interesting, they knew they needed to be baptized, right? So, now just hang with me. Of the 30 times that it says people were saved, it only mentions that they were water baptized nine times. So are you saying that the New Testament church wasn't emphasizing being baptized in water? No, because what you have is this. Is it being emphasized enough to people know that it's simply, you know, et cetera, et cetera? So let's, at what point does the writer simply imply something so that it doesn't have to be mentioned every time? Because you understand they were writing on a scroll. They had limited space. So there was, you know, this expectation of, you know, you know what happened because I've been telling you what happened. And every once in a while they would re-inject it just to remind you that it's still happening. We have to understand their form of communication and not go, well, that's very poor communication on their part. They weren't writing to you at that point. You weren't here. Okay, it's their world. And so that to conserve space on a scroll, they would, they would mention it enough so that you knew it was a practice and then mention it on occasion just to remind you of the pattern. I, I can give you again the example. It doesn't say that Saul spoke in tongues when he received the Holy Spirit. But if you go to Corinthians, it's pretty obvious he is because he said, I speak in tongues more than the rest of you. Everybody got it? Now, here's the thing. I will tell you as a pastor, as a theologian, we have to be careful to make sure that when we know that is happening, that it's at, and not try to use it to get our way. Because that can be abused. Come on, please say amen because of the fact that you know that I know that. Okay? Seriously. People have abused that last principle because they know in translation... From, from Greek or Hebrew into English, they can get away with some stuff. So did you see how much of the process that I gave to you this morning? So that you can be confident about the process of proclamation. How can I proclaim? Because I just laid out to you the process. I'm not going to tell you you have to have a secret knowledge, a secret wisdom. and You just got to trust me. If it's truth, I'm going to take the time to tell you. You deserve the opportunity to process this, not because somebody's bullying you into it, not somebody's threatening you with it, or somebody's intimidating. It's just simply the truth. And sometimes you lay out the truth and let the truth marinate. I have found the truth can soften hearts very well. And sometimes you just have to let it do its work and let people think. And everybody said, thank you, Pastor Greg. There you go. I appreciate your encouragement this morning. All right. You know, I only got two points this morning. What does that mean? Absolutely nothing. Just wanted to say that. Because if you haven't noticed by now, I can make a point last a long time. Point number two. Read it out loud. The purpose of speaking in tongues according to the Apostle Paul. So I said, okay, so he's, he's got his references 12 times where he actually says the word. I can't address all 12, but I'm going to address five of them. Now, I have, I've been getting some great inquiries even this past week. People saying, man, I'm really enjoying, but hey, are you going to tell us, like, help me to understand, like, why exactly is this important to me on a daily basis? You know, okay, I, I work, I have this business, I do whatever, this is my family, my life. What, is, what does this do 
for me? I mean, how do I incorporate this into my life? Can you help me to understand the dynamics of this in my personal life? And I go, be there Sunday, because that's what I'm talking about. How's that for a way to invite people to church? Yeah, so, so we're going to look at this. So, no, so there, I'm going to give you five, I'm going to address five of them. There's 12, but we're going to look at five very quickly. A, it enables one to utter mysteries by the Spirit. Notice I probably just didn't answer a thing right there with that sentence. I'm borrowing the language of the Scripture. What are we talking about when I just said that? For everyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to who? God. Oh, so I'm not, in this instance, I'm, this is not about you listening to me. This is, I'm trying to have a conversation with God. Everybody got it? So this is telling me there's another way to talk to God. Well, what, well who wouldn't want another way to talk to God? Okay. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So the key word here is mysteries. This means hidden purpose or counsel. So when we pray in the Spirit, in tongues, we're number one, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to God. And number two, I am praying for hidden purposes, things that I can't see, things that I can't reason. I'm asking for things that I don't know to come. I'm asking for counsel to come because I... Do, I don't even know the right questions to ask God sometimes. So how do I ask God when maybe my question is even wrong? Pray in the Spirit, man. You're, because, listen, because it says God is Spirit. So we have a Spirit talking to a Spirit. Everybody got it? So this is a deeper way to talk to God when you don't know how to pray and what to ask for. Now, number two, or B, read it out loud. It edifies. Now there's something. Go down, go down Main Street and say, excuse me, have you ever edified yourself? <laughs> and you will have people go, get away from me. And don't be surprised if 911 doesn't get involved. This guy's edifier. I don't know what he's saying, but it's weird. See, it's one of those weird words you go, yeah, in church, we're good. Uh, outside the church, I don't think that's a word that works its way into my everyday language. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. Okay, so we need to know, what do we mean by edify? It means this. It means to build up, to promote growth. So when I pray in tongues, I'm building myself up. You see, I know how to build my physical man. What I don't always understand is how do I build my spiritual man. So this is another way for my spiritual man to be built up. It's another way for me to build up and grow myself. Listen to me. Spiritual. If I'm going to address the spiritual man in me, I'm going to have to use a spiritual language to talk to a God who's spirit. So a spirit man needs a spirit language to talk to a spirit God. Please tell me that made sense to you. It's, and they say, you say well, so God's not listening to me. No, 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 he's listening. 
This is another dimension in which God listens. It's a greater dimension of what God hears and a way that you can communicate with God. In Jude, it's a book right before Revelation. It's one chapter. Gets preached about all the time. Most of us, you know, we're so excited to be getting to the book of Revelation, we blow through Jude because we want to see about the end times. Interesting scripture that he has in verse 20. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Doesn't say by. Doesn't say with. Says in. All right? Ooh. So this tells me this is not something that's, you know, like here. It's in. I'm immersed. That when there's a dimension of growth for my life in all this. So, letter C, read it out loud. It engages one spirit in a different dimension. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 14, 14. For, I, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. Oh, but my mind is unfruitful. Do you know you're talking to one of the greatest theological academic people of the day who had an awesome mind and now he discovers there's a dimension that his mind is not used his spirit is he has to quiet his mind and let his spirit do the talk do you know how hard that had to have been for him because why do you go to school because you want to know stuff you want it, and then there's that, but then there's a time you come to God. He says, That's great. You got one PhD. You got two P. You teach. That's awesome. I need you to turn it off. Because when my spirit talks to your spirit, it's not about academics. I'm talking to you. And God says, You don't have to have a degree to talk to Him. Remember, they wrote the scriptures. So that everybody could get it. No secret society. No secret knowledge. No club that you had to have a certain level of degrees and insight to get in on. Or you were, it was like, no, we, we want everybody to know this is available to them. And he says... Your mind is unfruitful, meaning what? It does not benefit the mind. In other words, I may not walk away mentally with an aha that I can get when I'm listening to somebody teach. When my mind is engaged, many times my spirit is a lot quieter because my mind is overriding. And God says when you pray in the spirit, he's flipping it. He's saying, I need you to quiet your brain. And I want you to elevate your spirit. You see, that makes us uncomfortable. Just even thinking that you, well, so like what? I become a zombie? See, we go to all these extremities. No, we're not talking about coming some zombie. See, we, we, we gravitate to these extremes. It's like, no, it's understanding that my mind can't comprehend everything about God. There are some things I just have to go, mind. Shut up. 
Come on, you know what I'm talking about as you lay awake at night and you can't turn your brain off because you're trying to fall asleep. And your brain is racing. And you just, how many just wish you had an on-off switch right by the nightstand? You could just switch your brain off and fall asleep. Okay. So you know what I'm talking about. It's the same thing in the spiritual world. There's times you just got to go, stop. Stop. My spirit needs to talk to God. Not my brain, because my brain doesn't know everything. Letter D, read it out loud. It allows one to sing in a different dimension. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. So there's ability to sing with our understanding. That's easy. Pastor Malik leads a song. He puts it in a certain key. We all try to get within the range of that key. (laughs) And you just read the words up there. It's real easy. Understanding. Sing the lyrics on the screen in the key with the beat that he's doing. And that's great. But it says there's a different way to sing. And that's with my spirit. So I'll tell you how I do this. If you've noticed, there's a lot of of times, every Sunday, there's segments where there's instrumentals. There's nobody singing. The song may be in an instrumental bridge, or he may be, you know, passionate core prayer time where he says, now it's time for us to lift our voices. I, if if you were down, if, if if I could get you within the first three rows, if I could get you within the first three rows, You'd hear me, I'm just praying in the Spirit and singing in the Spirit. I'm not trying to force that on anybody, but I've already sung with my understanding. I need to use a different side of myself than just use my understanding. I'm singing in the Spirit, I'm praying in the Spirit. And then when he goes back to singing with the words, then I will start singing with my understanding again. But in those breaks where we're not singing the words, I'm using my spiritual language to call out to God. Because why? Because I don't always know what I ought to be singing. So I let my spirit man do some of the singing for me. Last one, letter letter E, read it out loud. It allows one to pray in a different dimension. Not only just singing, the same thing. In verse 15, I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. There's a time to pray. What you know, using the language that you know, but then there's also a time you go, I'm clueless on what I ought to be praying Because here's the thing, sometimes I'm not even asking the right questions and sometimes I'm not even praying for the right solutions. I just have to say, please God, and just pray in the Spirit. And I don't have to necessarily know what I prayed, but it was a prayer of faith that I said what needed to be said. And if you've lived a life long enough, you're going to find yourself in a crisis or two and you're going to say, I don't see a win here. How am I supposed to pray? What am I supposed to do? I don't see a win. I don't see, I don't see how I'm supposed to pray here because no matter what I pray for, I feel like I'm creating somebody a situation somebody's going to lose here or I'm praying against somebody and I need to pray for them. I need to pray against the forces that are manipula- manipulating this. Pr- I don't know how to pray. That's why you have this prayer language. You just go, I don't have to know everything. I just have to know who I need to talk to. I just have to know. So it's a greater dimension. Listen, the Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit is active in every person in this room right now. 
But it's like a relationship. You're growing in the dimensions of the relationship. It continues to grow and to develop and move forward. So it's not like, well, so are you saying I don't have the Holy Spirit? At all? Listen, you couldn't have even felt bad and get convicted and been saved if the Holy Spirit wasn't, wasn't working in you. So listen, you have a relationship. What I'm telling you is this. There's a deeper and more meaningful relationship waiting. And if the Holy Spirit has done that for you, convicted you of sin, and helped you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you've begun to see some of that activity, if there is more, why wouldn't you want it? If this is what he's done without me being aware of all this is available to me, now that I am, why wouldn't I want that in my life? So as I wrap it up, I read this last week. But I want to make sure that you are reminded, and I know there's some new people with us today. I've prayed to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but have not spoken in tongues. What do I do? And if I speak in tongues, how do I know I'm not just making it up? There's a scripture that Jesus, that Luke records, that Jesus answered this very, these very two questions. Unfortunately, this passage is referred to in segments. People peel a verse off here and there, and so it gets removed from its context. So I want to read it again. This is the context. We're going to re- I'm going to read that whole passage. And you can see that Jesus is referring to the fact, what do you do if you haven't received it and you've been asking? What do you, how can you be sure that you haven't, aren't receiving a fake, that, something's being, that you're being tricked into something? So how about, if I, how about we let Jesus answer that? Would everybody say amen? Let's a- let Jesus answer those two questions. And it's in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of his friendship, doesn't sound like much of a friend, does he? Yet because of your shameless audacity, well, there's an interesting spiritual verb right there, right? There's a place for shameless audacity in, this, in the Christian walk. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And let me just say, you go into the Greek language, it means ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. The person will give you because you won't leave them alone. Okay? So that's, that's the literal. Keep it up. For everyone who asks means keeps asking receives the one who seeks keeps seeking finds and the one who keeps knocking the door will be open which of you fathers if your son asks for a fish will give him a snake instead or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion if you then though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children now this is now here's the summary How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Yeah, you could take some of those scriptures and apply it to general prayer. 
But the passage is specifically talking about receiving the Holy Spirit. Jesus was telling them, you're not going to receive it probably the first time you ask. We know that they prayed for 10 days. He was setting up the fact. If you think you're going to pop into a prayer room and it's going to happen, he says, you will stay there and 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 you will stay there. Look, folks, 10 days for us, that would be starting today and you wouldn't come out of the room until a week from Wednesday. And he was setting them up. You keep knocking, you keep asking, you keep persisting, and I will give you the Holy Spirit. Don't you quit. And he says, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will I give you a good gift? God says he will not con you. He will not let darkness come in. If your heart is pure, he will not let darkness come in and give you something to fake. So my summary to you today is this. Ask, 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 knock, 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 seek, seek, seek. Don't stop. Did I mention don't stop? Keep asking. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet as we wrap up the service. Come on, we're going to sing that song. We've been singing it every week. But I want you to make this a personal prayer as you're singing it. Holy Spirit, you're welcome. Come on, sing it. Oh, Spirit, you are welcome. Come on. Come on this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long to be overcome when your presence. Come on, sing it again. Lift your hands. Come on, lift it. Sing it. seeking and start knocking. Come on. With the volume that you just sang, everybody, ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit right now. Come on. There shouldn't be any self-consciousness in the room. It's time to pour your heart out to God. Come on, everybody. Lift your voice now.
wrap the service up, but let me just say something before we go. That song that we sang, the reason we have sung it every week is because there comes a point I need to not have to worry about the lyrics. That I, you know that you can sing and be thinking something different at the same time, right? And so what I want you to see in this dynamic is this. You need to own that song to where that it's not just something coming from your head. Yeah, I've got the words. There comes a time when you're singing the song and your heart says, yeah, I mean that. I mean that. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come, I don't say come flood this place. I say come fill this place. Fill this atmosphere. At some point, it becomes a song that moves from your head to your heart, and you go, yeah, I own that song, and I mean it from my heart. Let me tell you something. That's when something's going to happen. And some of you, listen, if I haven't said it already, stay hungry. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And everybody said amen. Come on, lift your hands as I say the blessing and we go. I bless you in the name of the Lord. May he bless you in this city and in this county. May the fruit of your womb and the crops of your land and all your livestock be blessed. May he bless the work of your hands at home, at work, in church, in this community. May he bless your coming and your going. May the Lord grant the enemies that rise up against you be defeated. When they come at you in one direction, let them flee from you in seven directions. May the Lord send a blessing on everything you put your hand to do. May he continue to establish you as his holy people. May all people see you've been called by the name of the Lord. May the Lord grant you prosperity, opening up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. May he bless the work of your hands. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everybody gave a shout of amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great day.